She's a former public school teacher turned stay-at-home mom. He's a talk show host who's made a career covering politics from afar. Now, Christine Stegall and her husband Chris have chosen a new path forward for their child in Christian education. Join them as they explore and experience this important alternative and education for the first time. Welcome to Making the Leap. When an industry is unaccountable to its customers and market, it tends to just kind of become like itself. So in, in, in university and in the world of higher education, schools are totally unaccountable to the market. If you look at essentially consumer response to one of the least trusted industries in the country, and yet, I mean, nobody thinks it does a great job, and yet everybody buys it. Welcome in to another edition of Making the Leap. Glad to have you here today. Every so often, we try not to do this too often, but sometimes these episodes are completely (laughs) self-indulgent. But we hope it'll help other people, too, that maybe you're in the same position that Christine and I are in. You know, we find our our kids, two of them in high school, one just finishing high school. Uh, You and I talk a lot, Uh and we talk a lot with our kids about... Uh, the expense of college, what are they learning when they go away to college? Do we want to pay for college? Is it useful anymore? Are they just going to unlearn everything that we value mm-hmm. at home? Uh, and so are there people out there in the higher education realm that are trying to change that dynamic? Absolutely. And also, the I think same thing applies to college as it does to the high school and elementary and middle school, is that options that are created that exist on you know, within different platforms, whether that's classical Christian, such as today, um, or just yeah, a virtual college, you know, all the different options. I love having this conversation for us, for everyone to be listening to today. So with that, we would like to welcome in Dr. Matthew Smith. He is with Hildegard College in California, and we are so excited to be talking with you today. Thank you. Thank you, Christine and Chris. I'm I'm really delighted to be here talking with your audience, thinking about school and education, not just at the college level, but also at the K-12 level. So By the way, you. you're not just uh, with the college. Right. You founded <laughs> the college. Uh, we don't talk to many college founders, so uh, curious about that. How yes. do you go about, fairly newly, I understand, 2022, uh, what is Hildegard College? Why did you found it? We're brand new. We're brand new. In fact, our inaugural freshman class is about, I don't know what it would be, something like seven, eight weeks into their first semester, and we're off the ground and going. I'm absolutely loving the program so far. Uh, so so we're, we're called Hildegard College, named after the 12th century Benedictine abbess Hildegard, who is okay. our insignia, our namesake, because she was a polymath. A polymath is essentially, for those unfamiliar with that weird word, is essentially somebody who um, is, is is not an expert just in one thing, but is proficient in many things uh, because they believe that there's an order and design to the world and things are interconnected. So Hildegard was one of those. And our school is designed to cultivate polymaths. Uh, we're in Southern California. So we're in Orange County, California and Costa Mesa to be specific um, at a kind of alternative co-working space called Fieldwork, which is our campus that creates this really interesting dynamic uh, for a, a totally unique degree that we offer, which is in liberal arts and entrepreneurship. So to repeat that, we offer a single uh-huh. degree in liberal arts and entrepreneurship. We can talk wow. more about that if you guys are interested. But the story mm-hmm. to the founding is essentially Hildegard College is founded by myself and others who consist of, I'll, I'll describe us as kind of academic refugees of sorts, folks who have taught at other universities, especially Christian universities and entrepreneurs who looked at the landscape of higher education and 
with almost everybody else in the country concluded this isn't working or it's not working optimally or it's failing altogether and thought there's a there's a better way to do it and not only is there a better way to do it but there are already places where it's done better especially in the christian college world uh, where schools are rethinking the institutional model its relationship to government and regulatory structures are thinking um, most importantly in my opinion about uh, the accountability of college education to outcomes, which is something that universities, mainstream universities, Christian and secular, simply cannot do. They can't think about, uh, they can't organize their schools around what they think works. There is a system and a status quo and a structure that exists, and they have to do their best within that. Uh, but now, and only now, people are beginning to ask in the modern era, well, maybe there's a different structure maybe there's a different system that it can allow us to ask questions like what ought students to learn and how ought we to form students and to what learning principles theological principles philosophical principles ought learning to be accountable what is the relationship between um, the outcomes the kinds of people we produce as a college and what we tell students or prospective students they'll be learning at our school. These seem like really obvious things <laughs> that we should be asking about college, but they are as foreign as could be to what I might describe as the, the, the modern kind of industrialized secular education complex. It almost sounds like uh, the backward design I used to teach and we would start with, you know, backward design was a new, newish, I use that in quotes, term as I was entering education. And it, you know, it, like, it sounds like that is almost exactly what it is, starting with your outcome in mind, where, where do you want them to end up and then working your way back from there to create what you want. And I, I think that it's probably a little bit different, but that's, that's what comes to mind. Because when you have your goals first, then you can back it up and figure out, well, if we do this, it takes us to this path. I, I love hearing that because I agree. I don't think universities are thinking and working with that philosophy in mind. So what kind of student, um, uh, Dr. Smith, uh, what kind of student uh, would seek out Hildegard College in your view or your, or, or your hope? Um, is it a come one, come yeah. all or a very specific kind of student? It is, um, it is a self-selecting student. We're an ecumenical Christian school, meaning we're a, a Christian school that doesn't have a relationship with any particular Christian denomination. Okay. Um, faculty and staff affirm the Christian faith. We ask students to uh, affirm uh, from their, their, their voluntary enrollment into a community, a faith community of learning um, in the application to answer questions like, for instance, uh, what's the relationship between Jesus Christ and learning? Mm -hmm. But then also ask, I think the first question in our application simply ask students to write a short essay on, uh, in response to the question, what is thinking for? So it's at the same time um, a Christian community of learning, but one in which we we want students to authentically enter the classroom. And we're aware of the role that college plays for most people as a kind of, I mean, it's, it's a conglomerate. It's a coming of age experience. It's vocational preparation. It's a deepening of their intellectual capacity kind of all together at one. It's a kind of formational experience too. Uh, so the students that we have now are sort of from all over the place. First of all, they're from all over the country, mm -hmm. uh, but they're also from sort of different stages of life. Some of them straight out of high school. Some of them 
in their early 20s, having gone to community college and tried that and dropped out, taken some years off. A couple of our students started small businesses and then came back to college. So between 18 and 23, 24 years old, essentially. But there are students who think independently about young people who think independently about their learning, who aren't happy with the status quo, um, often students who are already considering what I would what I would call alternative paths to education. Um, few of our applicants are also applying to what I would describe as mainstream Christian uni big universities. Exactly what I was going to ask, if I may interrupt. <laughs> I was going to ask this. Um, I, I know you're not <clears throat> begrudging or insulting or putting down in any way other Christian schools, but um, let's just take one of the most famous, Liberty University. How is Hildegard College different than Liberty University, for instance? Perhaps. Hildegard College um, is almost as different from Liberty University as Hildegard College would be from the University of Michigan or oh, University okay. of Southern California or name your private or public secular university. And that's not, um, that's not discounting the fact that uh, Christian, especially Protestant universities, in my opinion and experience, are full of incredibly gifted and devoted Christian teachers and professors. Mm -hmm. um, it's not discounting that, but it's the, uh, it's the nature, the kind of, I would describe it as an accident of history, though the model that universities have become, there's some business principle where um, when an industry is un unaccountable to its customers and market, it tends to just kind of become like itself. So in, in, in university and in, in the world of higher education, uh, schools are totally unaccountable to the market. If you look at essentially consumer um, response, kind of consumer reviews of higher education, it's one of the least trusted industries in the country. And yet, I mean, nobody thinks it does a great job and yet everybody buys it still. So this shows us there's this sort of insulation, insulation due to accreditation, due to federal funding, and due to a general kind of uh, unaccountability to the market. And so that makes schools just become similar to themselves. So how are we specifically different than a school like you? I can't speak to Liberty University specifically, but a school in the mold of Liberty University, uh, we're purposely small, we're committed to small classes and I don't mean that in the way that like a university would typically say that I mean we're committed to real mentorship and apprenticeship in mm -hmm. classes um, completely unfettered access to we, we encourage our students to um, almost abuse access to faculty in a way mm. uh, we have um, uh, we do not differentiate between general education and the major we have one curriculum all mm. students take it through the great texts of history and through entrepreneurial thought. Uh, and we don't really differentiate between the two. Yes, it's different to study how to make a strategic financial plan in one class and to read Plato in another class, but essentially you're doing the same thing. You're going back to the roots, not reading a textbook, but asking where did the idea come from? At the same time, not taking a generic business class of 150 students, but studying how to do the thing by how to build it through entrepreneurial thought so coming back to the roots of both places we don't um we don't administer any conventional tests like multiple choice tests all mm -hmm. student evaluation 
is through uh, how one would actually demonstrate their knowledge. So through projects they do, through presentations, through writing, and then through actual work for real world organizations. Um, I mean, who figured why, why, why can't we actually blend our education and the measurement of its outcomes, the measurement of the quality of our learning uh, by a student's impact on the real world? So um, we're also radically affordable. We're, a, I don't know what the tuition at, at the average tuition of a private Christian university is, but we're somewhere around a third of the cost of an average Christian university. And we don't accept federal funding. So we're independent. We are not mm -hmm. accountable to the strings that come attached uh, once you start playing the federal funding game and uh, you know, 60, 70% of your revenue comes from the government essentially through right. early subsidized loans, which is which is pretty normal. I love having conversations like this because it does, we've, we've actually been able to talk to a lot of people who have been founding different schools, been in the process of building schools from the ground up. And I, it is something that is so encouraging to hear at a college level. We talk to a lot who are in the elementary level, middle school, and some high school. And I think just where our world is at, that what you're doing is also just as innovative and it's massively important because it does allow for those parents and families, the students who are moving through, who want to continue in that vein, who maybe don't want to be sitting in, like you said, a system that has been regulated and has been in place for years and years and years, and yet um, is opening up ways to be just as creative and just, you know, different, because I think that's what everything is getting pushed towards within education um, as a whole. I think that's, <laughs> I, I really like hearing it. And yeah. I wish there were, I wish we knew of more like this, and I love getting getting to speak to you in that vein. Well, and we've learned, uh, Doctor Smith, that um, you know, even in the schools that have been started K through twelve, there are different kinds of Christian schools in right. that vein. So right. I would be curious to know if someone went to, um, uh, I don't know, uh, if they did. Let's say this: if they didn't attend what you would consider a classical Christian school, K through twelve mm -hmm. school. Could could they come to Hildegard uh, and fit in, or would they have a harder time adjusting? The interests in our school and the prospective families and students we have now, I think, represent a balance not of the general American public, which obviously mm -hmm. you know, the vast majority of Americans just attend a typical public school, but um, represent a balance of what I would describe as independently thinking, especially Christian families. So lots mm -hmm. of homeschool families. Um, lots of kind of hybrid and co-op school families, um, charter school families, private school families. Uh, ab so absolutely not. Sometimes we get the question, is is this school, is Hildegard College for uh, graduates of classical high schools? And the answer to that is also definitely not. It is for them, but it's for, uh, it's, it's, it's for anybody who wants to seek the truth where it actually find, which, I, which act, it's actually found who wants to be formed by the great ideas to, to learn with a kind of a community of friendship and trust. Um, you know, it's interesting, Chris, the, in our conversations with families of high schoolers and high school students themselves, there is something like a gap that we've seen uh, between Christian education at the middle and high school levels and then what people to decide to do in college. Meaning people, especially thoughtful families, are very careful and protective and intentional about what happens with their children before they become adults. But 
uh, you know, parents obviously still have a huge influence on kids and where they go to college, if they mm-hmm. go to college. Uh, but the decisions people make, the rubric by which they make these decisions completely changes. It's a it's a strange phenomenon where, where mm-hmm. they look at they look at college, they look at universities, and they begin to think in maybe deeply pragmatic ways with no thought towards formation, or they really just think about kind of uh, 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 um, mitigating the risk. Well, I just yes. want to be a safe place. Mm-hmm. That's mostly what I care about. Or they, um, we often see a, um, a kind of utilitarian, and there's a practical wisdom to this approach with homeschool families where they send their kids to community college well, because they can live at home and I can help mm-hmm. guide them where they go. And then it's almost free. And then they go to a state school and it's really cheap and they can graduate in three years. Um, and then sometimes there's a, well, we're just going to, they're going to go to their best school. This is the most common reason, by the way, students choose the college they do. Mm-hmm. If they go to a four-year school, it's simply their best school and meeting the expectations for getting as high as they can by whatever kind of worldly standard mm-hmm. um, sets those standards. And uh, n- none of these reasons reflect the decisions that these families make when their child is in fourth grade or sixth grade or first grade. And yet this is this this odd shift that happens that describes the kind of gap between Christian uh, primary and secondary education and higher education. So you're saying, if I if I understand this correctly, um, and forgive me because I'm certainly not as uh, <laughs> academically inclined as you are, <laughs> I think I hear you saying that uh, parents will send their children off to a, a college university setting and not really mindful or thinking of outcomes. Uh, is that what I hear you saying? Uh, if I could boil it down yeah, to its essence. And, and- and, and I would say it's also driven by the fact that, and this is nobody's fault right. because higher education is confusing, but very few people actually understand how college works. Okay. By that, I mean why it costs what it costs, how it's paid for, what's the relationship between college and accreditors, what's the relationship between college and the government, why do students take the classes that they take? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you ask that question, if, if, if you were to go to a school, name any major Christian university, and ask a professor at one of these schools, what what will my kid learn at uh, Blank University? Uh-huh. It's just going to be an incomprehensible question. It won't mean anything. It will almost be an embarrassing question because the answer is, well, that depends on a decision tree 50 feet tall. Yes. And, you know. The bureaucracy the, of it. The influence of the admissions counselor and mm-hmm. the major counselor and the office for Blank and uh, the universities need to fill this class rather than in this class. And it's... Um, and what sells, honestly, yeah. mm-hmm. and that's uh, that's unacceptable that we can't answer the question: What will this person, what will I or my child learn at your university? Should be something that is uh, should be should be, should be forefront in how a university describes what it's offering to a student. So we came uh, up, okay. yeah. So Dr. Smith, we came up in an era. Uh, Christine and I did certainly. Uh, people older than us did. Mm-hmm. I, I and I hear people, our friends, our peers who will still say this, but I think it's on the wane, and I'm glad it's on the wane. They all say the same thing. Well, my kid's got to go to college right. if he wants a good job. Right. It's it's just yeah. that generic throwaway. St- my dad thought that you got to go to school mm-hmm. and you got to stay in school if you want to get a job and get ahead and do better than I did. And it's done out of love and care. It is, right. but I, I but. think finally mm-hmm. we're breaking. I think the culture is finally starting to break of that 
model and start thinking differently about, is college appropriate? What am I going to get out of college for the dollars I'm spending? Where are we going? Right. Do, do you see a sea change, I guess is my question. I do see a sea change. It is still true that um, if you look at you know, the total lifetime earning, somebody who has a four-year college degree, a bachelor's degree, is, uh, is, is significantly more likely to earn more over a lifetime than someone that does not. But that's a relatively meaningless statistic because there is more variety, there's more disparity in uh, the people in, in, within the population of people who actually go to a four-year school and what their lifetime earning is. Meaning it really just depends on what kind of student you are. If you're a good student and you make friendships and you do your work and you go over and above and you're genuinely, genuinely seeking, you're probably going to have um, much better return on your investment for college than a student who goes and just parties or just cares about mm -hmm. the social life or you know chooses the easiest major or something like that. But I do see a I do see a sea change, um, and it's coming from the kind of margins of higher education. It began with disruption through the the invention of online education, which becomes mm -hmm. more accessible and more affordable, but of course sacrifices the formational aspects of learning. Um, but it's beginning to creep in a bit, and people are. Uh, especially young men, by the way, are opting not to go to college, which mm -hmm. is uh, not a bad thing, in my opinion. It's a bad thing if they were not to be educated, but mm -hmm. it's a bad thing. It's not a bad thing for them to choose not to go to college. Um, and people are just finding alternative paths, and they're finding um, apprenticeships and uh, uh, companies like Google are beginning to train and kind of offer their own internal education. There's there's change in the air for sure. For sure, Walmart just yeah. announced um, this year that they're going to start hiring executive level folks and not necessarily consider a college degree requirement at all anymore, which I found kind of interesting. Because they believe in their own ability to train them, right? Mm -hmm. So if Walmart had its own kind of school for management for its own employees, think about um, how how transparent and clear the value proposition of that is. If you're a Walmart employee and you're in this training program to become a manager and you're learning about business in that way, what is Walmart accountable to? Well, it's accountable to itself. It's taking its own risk. Uh, there's no accreditation agency that's standing in between saying, oh, we give it our stamp of approval. You don't need that. You don't need that right. anymore because the, the company that's going to hire you is the one educating you. That's what I mean by kind of transparency. So to give you a sense of, of uh, Hildegard College, for instance, we, we have a list of questions that we think are questions that have abiding value and are especially salient today. And we tell our students, uh, when you come to Hildegard College, you're going to learn to address these questions. Questions like, is there a God? And if so, what is God like? Questions like, is there such thing as human nature? I mean, we can't even presume to begin to talk about issues like sexuality or social justice and these kind of hot button issues these days if we don't have a clear sense of what we mean by human nature and if we believe that it's that it's real is beauty real is beauty real and is it objective is another one of these questions the relationship between language and meaning and reality so we we are holding ourselves accountable to um to these outcomes these are the questions that we think all young people who genuinely will to learn ought to ought to wrestle with and learn to address. How do you do that? Well, for us, it's by 
reading the greatest thinkers on these topics and then converting that through a training in entrepreneurship and how to make an impact in society through that. And I would say uh, it's not just at schools that similar clarity of value is being offered. It's also in companies like Walmart. It's also through apprenticeships. A good friend of mine's son just graduated high school and decided I'm going to start welding and started mm -hmm. working as a welder and loves what he does and goes to church and joins reading groups at church and educates himself in you know some of some of the wisdom of the past that way. And of course, that's a different path than college, but I think that's mm -hmm. a much more valuable path than somebody. <laughs> well, what's the best school that I get oh. into? It also gives me a scholarship that. Right. Meets my parents' expectations and my. I, I loved the word you used, seeking. seeking. I, the, the, it's it's the same with our faith, isn't it? I mean, when you um, you only grow in your faith if you're seeking to learn, um, and if you're not, if you just go to church and sit in the pew and go home after the hour sermon, you're checking the box. Yeah, you're not mm -hmm. seeking. I, I and I I just love that what you described mm -hmm. about your your welder student. <laughs> that's he's seeking in his own way, right? But that's that's what you would hope everybody taps into is what are they seeking. Yeah, in fact, our motto at Hildegard College is querere, amare, edificare. These are Latin words. Querere means to seek. Amare, mean, amare means to love. And then edificare, to build. So you begin by seeking what is true. It's not enough to know what's true. You have to love what's true. So amare, a formation in what's good. So you become the kind of person who has those convictions. And then finally, the practical skills to do something about it, edificare, to build. So seeking is really the foundation, I think of what we would describe as the liberal arts and its role in education. Where do you envision going? You have one major right now or one program combining your the two together. What, what are the plans? What's, what's the five-year or the 10-year plan in place for where you go next or what you build or add to what you've already created? And I'll tag on how big is it now? How big could it get? How many students? What's the student body? Or is size? that even your goal? I don't even, you know, sometimes people are, you know, we'll talk to people that have started a school and they're like, we're not worried about how many we get. We're worried about, you know, what we're doing with the ones that we have here. But just to pick your brain on that, I'm curious. Yeah, we're far more concerned about fit. Um, and we have a flexible institutional model, meaning we're not top heavy, uh, where we've invested a lot of a lot of especially Christian private schools in the past 20 years have invested in these growth strategies and now they're upside down because uh, they've invested to grow enrollment is dropping it's going to continue to drop because there are simply fewer college-aged people in the U.S. and fewer of the that population percentage-wise are even going to college so now they're upside down our strategy and our model allows us to sort of grow to scale so that we don't need to reach a critical mass of, of 6,000 students or something within mm -hmm. three years in order to survive. So we're growing cohort by cohort. No class at our school is bigger than 15 students. We don't want more than 15 students next fall in our inaugural, uh, our second uh, freshman class, I should say. Um, down the road, uh, as we grow into our Costa Mesa campus, our plan is to grow into other cities. And to connect these where a student could study in San Francisco or New York or Costa Mesa, kind of as they'll just, these are just examples as, um, as different opportunities, especially in entrepreneurship exists there. And what's kind of convertible about what we do is our approach to the liberal arts and to formation. Um, and then it's grounded in organizations that we work with through which students apprentice in and learn about entrepreneurship. Uh, so we will, max out essentially at a couple hundred students in Costa Mesa 
um, we hope within about 10 years. But before that time, we'll grow into other cities. Meanwhile, um, we are also interested, we're, we're building right now a postgraduate degree, a master's degree, if you will, for anybody who's interested in studying great works will be a low residency degree for people, um, not just in Southern California, but elsewhere as well, where they kind of come together for uh, intensive periods of seminar and discussion together in person, but then a lot of the learning happens remotely. Um, meanwhile, and this is where um, this is where I think the real impact of not just Hildegard College, but schools like this and schools that we have relationships with will come from, uh, we're disrupting the way that accreditation and assessment are done. And we have plans mm -hmm. to essentially reimagine and, and reinvent um, accreditation. That is the ways that we demonstrate before somebody enrolls at a school, the fact that that school is delivering what it promises to deliver. Right now, it's done by third-party organizations that are puppets for the federal government and gatekeepers of federal funds, and it doesn't take much looking into it to realize um, that's not a promising, um, that, 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 sh that shouldn't be very assuring if you're looking at the expense of the investment in college. And yet that's the status quo. Um, that couldn't be, f in some ways, that couldn't be further from uh, the, the, the most appropriate model for actually measuring and guaranteeing uh, that a school is giving you what it ought to give you. And so accreditation and alternative approaches to that is something that we are sort of at the spearhead of as well. That's really encouraging. I We had a guest on uh, last year who had started a kind of a pod school just within her own home. Um, and she, someone that I do know personally, and she had just posted that it was just discouraging. She's homeschooling, you know, about, I think it's about 10 kids. She yeah. is teaching them the way that they are learning best. They're outside, they're nature. It's all, you know, it's all the, and she's, she's, teaching them what they are interested in and how to think and grow, but she has to check all the homeschool boxes for the state of Pennsylvania. And she said that is the most discouraging part is that she has to figure out how to meld, um, you know, this place where really they're thriving and yet she has to go back to these other things that don't fit with what she's doing. And so it's encouraging to that disruption of the system and that disruption of the process, I think is key. And it's something that I, I also love watching because it's going to push people to think differently on a bigger scale, not just this college or this pod school. Yeah. Or the, you know, I, I love that. Yeah, and in the meantime, Dr. Smith, the the accreditation thing, the kind of the box checking, the, the, the framework that we're used to saying, oh, he's he got a degree from this mm -hmm. and such a prestige, and they frame it and hang it on their wall, and people <laughs> see it on the resume, and they're impressed. I mean, no disrespect when I ask it, but I, I ask it just because I think this is the way a lot of people in my generation think. Okay, um, I've gone through Hildegard, college. Um, and now I have this degree uh, and I apply for work. Um, and I say this again with respect, I guess I just ask you to define it. What does Hildegard College mean on a resume to a graduate who hands that to their first prospective boss? That, yeah, that's a, I think that's, that's the right question to ask, um, especially because like it or not, that's what college does. It's, it's, it's supposed to be a launch pad into vocation and career for those that choose to have a career. Um, we, we live in a time where uh, schools that used to have some kind of name brand value on job applications no longer do. There are still mm -hmm. some that do. If your kid gets into Harvard or Stanford, you should 
Um, if you can afford it, very seriously consider them going there because the opportunities that come with that uh, are immense. But that cannot be said of most of the schools that it used to be said of. Just talk to employers about it. They don't care that you got your degree from blank university or blank university unless it says something like Stanford. Um, at Hildegard College, we preempted this question in a way because we don't um, we, we don't really care about the name on the diploma. What we care about is a student's ability to demonstrate to employers that they already know what they're doing, that they've mm. um, that they're they're they have the soft skills that come through the study of the liberal arts, soft skills and critical thinking. And I don't mean that in a cliche way. I mean, actually doing that, opening some intimidating book like Aristotle's higher <laughs> analytics with a group of seven other students and finding a place to start, finding a question to ask of it, wrestling through it, and lo and behold, eight weeks later, you know what Aristotle has to teach us in the prior analytics. What comes from that in terms of soft skills um, is almost immeasurable by resume standards. But then in a resume, our students do actual work. So in entrepreneurship, they're not um, studying entrepreneurship and then taking a test to see if they know what that means and know how to do something. Their test is, well, go, go actually do it. Mm -hmm. Do it for a real organization. We call them our civic partners, organizations we, part, we partner with. Go make the social media campaign, for instance, for this bioenergy company. And That's big. whether or not you um, know how to do it is not going to be decided by the people that teach you it, which if you think about it, there's a deep conflict of interest there, <laughs> yeah. but rather by the organization for whom you do it. And then it's not just about the name that's, you know, on uh, the, the name of the school that's on your resume when you apply to a job. It's about the real work that you've done. And in fact, for Hildegard College, you may as well just go work for one of the organizations for whom you've already worked while you were in college. So this is our, um, this is also related to our kind of slow and small process of growth where uh, we really do help students curate their own entrepreneurial journey. It's not a choose your own adventure. It's not consumeristic. We tell students what they should study. We don't let them choose their own major even. And mm -hmm. yet uh, we help them kind of customize their path and find their calling at the same time. Best of both worlds. You're not just, I feel like I even did it a little bit, just kind of throw a, throw a dart at a dartboard and see where it lands, right? And then yeah. now I look back 30 years later and I'm I'm not doing, I do some things related to what I graduated with, but it it's just so different. And now, you know, in retrospect, I love that we're offering those kinds of opportunities and experiences to kids. The most deceptive selling points of a school is come to this university and you'll have this specific job where if you kind of combine statistics and really look at the data, it's something around 10% of college graduates end up with a career in an area directly related to their major. That is four-year college graduates. 10% end up with a career wow. in an area directly related to their major. And yet if you if you looked at universities' marketing campaigns, that would be the number one reason you would see uh, that they give to students to try to convince them to buy their college. It, their it, look, it's 100% <laughs> true with me. I will say I, I'm fortunate enough. I feel very, very blessed, sincerely, to have been in broadcasting my, most of my entire career. Right. Uh, I went to a school to become a broadcaster, and I was fortunate mm -hmm. enough to do that and still make a living doing it. But I can tell you that of everyone that I went through that program with, I, I bet I couldn't fill a hand mm -hmm. uh, with yeah. the number of us that are still making a career of it. Uh, 
20 some years later to your point. And I and and if I were to be wholly honest with you, nothing I have managed to achieve in my career had anything to do with being with, yeah. on that campus. I I mean, I got some introductions to some things, but it was all real world applications. Well, I was going to say the stuff that you did do that was real world, putting on shows, creating, yeah. that was your best experience versus yeah. So I I say that only to affirm what you just said, Dr. Smith. Could I could I close by asking you, um, in terms of the faith component, the Christian component of Hildegard College, uh, how how do you walk walk alongside Christ while thinking about Aristotle? That's always interested me. How do they intersect? Yes, this is something we talk about a lot with students and as faculty, um, and I I it it really emerges out of what I think is a confusion in learning in general, but especially higher learning about what makes a school Christian. Is it that it affirms these seven position statements? Is it that you take a certain number of classes in Bible and theology? Students at Hildegard do take courses specifically in theology. They do read the Bible and church history and historical theologians in the great text curriculum alongside authors like Aristotle. Um, But that's not what makes primarily, in my opinion, education or learning Christian. It begins with an understanding of a theology of learning and an orientation of learning towards the highest ends of all human activity. So for us, this is contemplation of God. This is the the word contemplation um, is an old kind of medieval word in this way. And it's applied to uh, a kind of knowing through love. When you're driven to learn about something, you're driven to know something because you love it. And the attainment of that object of love happens through, transpires through coming to know it. So at Hildegard College, uh, the way that we think about moving through these great texts and studying economics and theology and philosophy and ethics and literature and politics um, is ordered by an understanding of the highest end of all human moral activity as the love of God, which is um, an integration of love and knowledge in one activity through this idea of contemplation. So how is that done practically? How is it done practically? Uh, Again, not through token things, not through chapels and make sure that we begin every class with prayer, right? Not bad things. I don't mean to condescend Mm -hmm. to those, Um, but rather through... uh, an approach to learning that respects the uh, re- respects the understanding that the truth exists in you as a person of faith. That is, the word himself exists in you if you're a believer, and that with that comes an understanding of human dignity and a respect for a student. Where, if we're asking a difficult question, I'm not going to give the students the answer after they've sat in confusion for 45 seconds. No, I'll, I'll let the students wrestle with that for three hours. Is <laughs> I believe the process whereby they, they find the answer together in friendship and in love for what's true and good is itself a reflection of, of, of the word that exists inside of them, the logos that is Christ. So it comes down to pedagogy. That is how, the, how, how teaching happens. We're not telling students what they ought to think. We're teaching them how to think Mm -hmm. um, in a way that for us is really analogous to prayer. 
Great stuff. <laughs> I, uh, boy, that's a that's a deep dive you've just taken us on today. Uh, but I, um, but I'm I mean, it's important. What, right? It's what so do important. you? Uh, what would you recommend to people listening in today that think, boy, this sounds fascinating? Um, it sounds like you're not just taking anybody and everybody, though. So, I mean, to, you know, to be honest with folks, if they thought, oh, I think I'd like to research more, mm-hmm. um, I guess this is not an all call to anybody all over the country that wants to go to Hildegard, right? No, no but it might also be in a way to just think about it, but also for other people to think about what they are planning. Like maybe maybe Hildegard's not specifically for them, right? But I do think there's something to be said about really stepping back and thinking about what options are we, you looking at. We think that... Uh, we consider ourselves as as one of the schools that's on the kind of tip of the spear that's striking through the mask of higher education and higher education reform. And we're not alone and there are others. And in fact, we run online webinars and events in which we um, in which we talk about the new alternative, especially alternative Christian university and college movement and what are the options out there. So I would recommend people get plugged into what we're doing. Sign up for our online newsletter. You can go to the website hildegard.college, click on request more info at the top right, fill out the form, um, and you'll get notices. Hey, we're doing a webinar on um, how to pay for college or how to choose college or what are the new options, what are the new risks and opportunities facing Christian families in higher education today. Wow. Um, You could also, of course, learn about Hildegard College by going to our website, hildegard.college, or emailing admissions at Hildegard College, Um, the normal info at hildegard.college, line if you if you want to get in touch with me just email info at hildegard.college and say i'd like to get in touch with president smith and i'd be happy to talk to you as well but um yes we are we are we are advocates of a movement that's happening right now we're not alone um and uh we make a habit of telling people about what the options are what are the schools that we commend and this is something that i really believe in just be direct what are the schools that are worth um, worth considering. I mean, I have three children. My oldest is 13, not too far from college herself. I'm direct with her. Consider going to these schools, not these ones. And so we are mm-hmm. with other people as well. Well, I mean, your, yours is the higher education mission of the Herzog Foundation. I was just, yeah, it's exactly. I was like, this you is know, exactly we, why I thought it would be a great fit because we, this movement really should be spanning all education, I, I think, avenues no. versus not just you know, at K-12. So I, I'm very, very much in awe of what you're doing and grateful and thankful because that is, this is what Herzog is about. We'll put all the information in our uh, show notes page so that everybody can uh, click on the links and uh, get in touch with you if, if uh, they'd like to. But hopefully we can stay in touch and continue conversations like these as we go K-12 through 12 and then beyond. <laughs> Dr. Smith, thank you for your time today. Thank you, guys. I've enjoyed the conversation. I'm so glad we had that opportunity today. Smart guy. To speak with him. Very smart. I, there's, But it's interesting, too, you know, that um, it really brought to mind the conversation that we were having early, early on when we were looking at different schools um, for our daughter and for Anna and how I knew one was not going to be a fit. Yeah. One felt much better to me. I think, obviously, college has to be the same, but it to think about to really be thinking about what the outcomes are that you want, sort of going back to the beginning of what he was saying, where do you want to end up and how much of a thinker do you want to be about it and not just be I, a rote learner, check a know, box. It's I, huge. Look, we're in this weird spot where our son, our oldest son, is starting his freshman year in a community mm-hmm. college because he's not really sure. And we have two other kids that haven't gone to college yet but mm-hmm. are going to get out of high school soon and go, I, I cannot, I simply cannot, as a dad, look at a four-year institution anymore and say, sure, 
go ahead and let me sign the check. I, I, no, I really want. I'm broken forever right. from that. I just am. But I don't think it's broken. I think it's almost like you're fixing something that's been broken. Yeah. You know, it's well, not a broken. It's really more of a fixing because you're saying awakened. I right. We're gonna we're gonna do things a little bit differently. And and too bad. Like if they're maybe like what? Why is it? Why is it all of a sudden working that way? Well, because we know better. We know yeah. better now on some things. And I I love that's why there are people and organizations. Um, such as a Hildegard College or Herzog that are helping to make that happen. So um, you, we, several email addresses, websites, things were mentioned in there. Um, all of that will be in the show notes down below. Uh, what other place can you say, I'm going to email the president of a college and, and have my questions answered? Sounds That's like he's going to be pretty free with information yes. and advice too. So take so, him up on it. And straightforward. So we encourage you to do that. As always, reach out to us at any time um, with emails, questions, comments on posts. We always love hearing from people, love getting connections that way. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Making the Leap is a podcast presentation courtesy of the Herzog Foundation. Please rate and comment on the show as well as subscribe so you never miss an episode. And we'll see you next